welcome to Overtime Hockey Talk. My name is Mark Paul. My co-host Justin Baker and I here for our five-year anniversary show. Uh, Justin, happy five years together. My gosh, we've been together that long, dude. That's <laughs> that's crazy. I mean, I've known you a lot longer than that, and, and uh, but five years—that's a. There aren't too many shows that make it five years, and uh, I think this is episode number two sixty-seven. So, two hundred. Oh, you know, we're 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 moving in on three hundred episodes and uh, five years. This is this will be season number five. So now that you know, now that they, uh, I know that the option to make your shows be in like season form. You know, you know, like on podcasts, you can see people do like season one, season two, blah blah blah. And I never did it because in the very beginning, I didn't and was like, man, that's that's a lot of shows to go back and change. But I think now I can, I can just say, all right, we're starting on season five. <laughs> so <laughs> once uh, once we hit like training camp or something like that, we'll officially be in season number five. I be, wait, is that season number five? 2007? Season six. Six. Season yeah. six. So we've done five seasons. Yeah, so then this will be <laughs> the sixth season. That's crazy. I mean, you think so about, geez, what, what was happening – when we first started, we we were like, "Man, is anybody going to be able to uh, well to beat this Pittsburgh Penguins team who just won the Stanley Cup with no defensemen?" And and like, will the Washington Capitals ever win the cup? Like that hadn't happened yet. That's uh, that's crazy. <laughs> to Pittsburgh think. still can't get out of the first round. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, they <laughs> didn't. They win. Oh no, no. Oh, yeah, they won the cup in 2017, 16 and right. 17, and then. Yeah, and then that was what the the Caps and then the Blues, right? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, okay. And then two years of St. Louis or I'm Tampa. Sorry, Tampa. <laughs> yeah, and then we yeah. got Colorado. So we'll we'll see. Uh, yeah, coming up into our sixth season, that's crazy. Um, well, anyways, enough enough patting ourselves on the back for you know being consistent, I suppose. But uh, we we've got a lot to talk about here. Is uh, we we decided that we're we uh, we're not going to do a top ten show today. We're going to just jump into some different topics that are going on around the league. Uh, we talked a little bit about Nazem Kadri in our top ten grinders, which you can go check out. Subscribe to the show, uh, but we wanted to jump into it a little bit more, especially now that details of the Sean Monahan trade to Montreal have come to light, and there are some. This this might be the most complicated conditions on a pick that I've ever seen in the history of the National Hockey League. Find me one where there's more conditions uh, because I don't know that it exists. Uh, Shall we run through these, Justin? Dude, be my guest. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Now, I guess guess first is to just say, all right, so uh, the Calgary Flames sent Sean Monaghan along with a first-round selection to Montreal, okay? And that first-round pick, uh, in the event, Calgary's own 2024 first-round choice is between 20 and 32, then Montreal shall have the option until 48 hours before the draft to exchange the conditional 2025 or 2026 first round choice to become Calgary's own 2024 first uh, choice. But if Florida's 2025 first round choice transfers to Calgary, um, 
or or if or oh, sorry or if that happens if if it transfers to Calgary. Um, in the event the conditions to trigger Montreal's option as noted in number one above does not incur does not occur, or Montreal declines to ex- exercise the option, the following conditions shall prevail. If Calgary's own 2025 first and Florida's 2025 first are not in the top 10 selections of the 2025 draft, then Montreal shall receive the earlier of the two stated choices. But if Calgary's first round choice or Florida's oh, and Florida's first round selection are outside of the top 10, then Montreal will get Florida's 2025 first. And if we stopped right there, uh, that would that would be good enough for me. I'm like, oh my gosh! All right, so we've got a lot of things, um, but it continues. Uh, in the event the conditions to trigger Montreal's option is noted in one number one above does occur. Oh wait, did I just skip something? No, I didn't. You did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, if Calgary's uh, if Calgary does not receive Florida's first round pick. Right. 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 In, yeah. Okay. Yeah. More scenarios. And it just keeps, uh, honestly, it just keeps going and going and going. Essentially, we get, I mean, what it all boils down to is we're, we're trying to make sure that Florida and Calgary are both good. <laughs> and they both have first rounds. If for some reason they're not, then Montreal's going to get a different pick because there's a lot of potential picks that Montreal could get here. And uh, it, it's just, it's pretty, it's, it's madness, but I, I guess... Calgary is doing their best to protect and to make sure that this pick doesn't end up being a top 10 pick. That's that would be the goal. Um, when, when all is said and done and there's more, I mean, you can go, you, anyone can just go read, um, you know, just type in Sean Monahan trade. You'll find the conditions. Um, it's just, yeah, it's a little too much to, to keep going, but I just wanted to, you know, bore you with the details for a moment to show you how, how, uh, desperate they were to not accidentally pull a Colorado giving uh or no sorry pull an Ottawa giving Colorado a top five pick for uh in that what was that that was the Duchesne deal right dude what a mess so they they went uh they went pretty far to to assure that that doesn't happen it'll be funny if it still somehow happens but um You know, after all that, they just end up with the latest possible pick, and that's when they're actually bad. That would be uh, that would be unusual. Um, well, with that said, so Monahan he goes to Montreal. Obviously, Calgary acquires Nazem Kadri uh, as a free agent. How do you? What do you think of the giant shakeup that we've seen in this division alone? Like just the Pacific Division. And uh, what Johnny Goudreau leaving the, not just leaving the Flames, but leaving the division has caused uh, a giant ripple effect through uh, through the Calgary Flames and the other teams in this division. Well, I mean, first, I got, I got to tip my cap to Brad for a living. I mean, most people, right, you lose 200-point guys. And by the way, for those who don't know, this is the first time ever a team has lost two 100-point players uh, like this in this kind of scenario, right? So um, it's it's incredible. Um, so I got to tip my cap to him for not just lying over and dying because Calgary could have easily just said the minute Goudreau was walking out the door and, and you knew Matthew Kachuk was ready to leave, they could have said, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to hit the reset button. We're going to rebuild. We're going to go through all this, get rid of Daryl Sutter because you know he's not hanging around for that. 
Um, let's just keep acquiring picks here and rebuild over the next few years. But instead, they go out and somehow miraculously get Jonathan Huberto to, you know, in a trade package, but manage to sign him, convince him to sign long term, which I mean, I'll be honest, when I when I first saw that trade come, you know, for Mackenzie Weger, Huberto, all this stuff come in, I thought, you know what? Both these guys are going to wait till free agency and walk at the deadline is what's going to happen. They're going to get dealt. Uh, that seems like the hot, like the most likely scenario to me. I was 95% sure of it. But he manages to sign Huberto to, a, to an extension without playing a single game and uh, says, you know what? I'm not done on my birthday. I'm going to go ahead and sign Nazem Kadri uh, to a 7 times 7 deal here. So he manages to still – I mean, if you look at it, I think TSN – put up the stats basically about the the players they lost, Sean Monahan, uh, you know, Goudreau, Kachuk, versus the players they acquired in Kadri, Uyghur, um, you know, Huberto. Huberto, and it still managed to be they managed to actually get four more points on their <laughs> roster than what had left. So if you really think about it, not only is he saving cap money too, because, you know, Kadri, I mean I can tell you between Kadri and Huberto at around, you know, $17.5 million was going to be cheaper than, you know, Goudreau and, and Kachuk, in my opinion. So they managed to maybe save a million or two bucks and still managed to replace them with an, with an equal number of points. That's, I mean, to me, that's that's pretty impressive. And I got I to gotta tip my cap because, look, Calgary could have easily laid over, um, you know, but instead, you know what, they, I, I think they, they saw what, what Vegas was going through, that they're, they don't have a starting goaltender. They're down to their third and fourth string goalies, and they they easily just said, you know what, hey, we've got an opportunity here. Edmonton struck; they got a good goaltender, so they're going to be a lot better next year. I mean, on paper, anyways. And so, you know what, let's strike strike while the iron's hot. Vegas is down and out for the count. L.A. is, you know, L.A. is getting better, and you know who knows if they're going to be more competitive next year because they add Fiala, and you think, okay, yeah, they should improve, and hopefully Quentin Byfield takes another step. So, you know, again, this could have been an easy scenario where Brad for living says, you know, we lost too much and all these other teams around us are getting better. But instead they just say, you know what? Hey, we're going to, we're going to strike while the iron's hot. We got a good team. We think we can win with what we have. And I don't blame him. I think, you know, Kadri to me, I, I like what he brings. I think he brings a good, you know, amount of sandpaper and skill to this team to really fit in well with Daryl Sutter's uh, coaching style. And it really should fit in quite well. Now the question is, you know, do you do you move him to the wing? Do you keep him at that second line center spot? You know, how do you handle that? But you know, I think they they probably discussed that before signing Kadri, so they have a good idea what they're going to start the season with, anyways. And so we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, he, he, there's certainly a scenario where Kadri plays top line minutes, and that's you know, he, maybe he plays over Elias Lindholm. I right, I, I don't think that you're you don't really care. I mean, you're looking at both those guys, and you're going well. You're going to play in the top six. And, oh, by the way, Michael Backlund's a pretty darn good center uh, who's going to play third-line minutes and, you know, probably kill penalties. And, uh, I mean, he's he's a, a great option to have at that third-line third, third line spot, which I really think is where he he is a better player when he's in that spot, when he's in the position where he's not in the top six. Uh, and I think with Monahan being kicked down the lineup, uh, you found Backlund playing more of a like more minutes uh, in an offensive role than he needed to be. And now I think he can play the role that he's just designed to play. I mean, he's a defensive center, 
and uh, I I think that he'll be better served that way. So I, I really, I mean, Calgary in a lot of ways. I mean, yes, you lose two superstar wingers, uh, you get one back, and you also get a pretty darn good center. And right. that's all. And for the Flames, where they were, I I'll say that center was definitely their weakest position last season. Uh, now they're now they're improved. I mean, they added a top six centerman, and they they also add a top four defenseman on, on top of a pretty good defensive core to begin with, too. Uh, so we'll see, uh, you know, kind of how that plays itself out. I mean, the rest of the division is likely to improve. I think most te- like Vancouver. I think we're looking at them and going. Uh, they're not going to be as bad as they were last year. They they were good down the stretch. Bruce Boudreau really br- br- uh, breathed some life into that team. Bruce Boudreau, given a full season, do we see him missing the playoffs? I don't. Like I I think he's probably like they're going to at least be right there uh, contending for the for a playoff spot. Vegas now without a goalie. I mean. Not that I don't think they can go out and acquire something and you know make some moves here, which they likely will do, uh, but it's probably going to take some time. So I think they may not be a, a super high up in the standings uh, come trade deadline time. They might be sitting right on the bubble of a playoff spot and go out and acquire a goalie. Uh, they also had a lot of injuries last year. and Do we think that all of a sudden a, a new year is just going to bring a, a totally fresh and healthy team all across the board? Well, a full year of a healthy Jack Eichel. Maybe you uh, that, yeah. give him an opportunity to get some chemistry with, with Stone all year, and maybe you might have something. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And I mean, and, and just, just continuing to look across the Pacific, Seattle, I don't think they're going to be as bad as they were last year. Certainly there's going to be some more opportunities given to potentially Shane Wright if he is able to make the team. Maddie Beneers, I think you're hoping, will take a step and make this team. Uh, and then, you know, obviously adding Burakovsky coming off a, a cup win with the Avalanche. You're going to get a full year of Yanni Gord, which was, you know, a, when, when a guy, not only does he go to a new team, a brand new team, uh, for him and the team itself, and uh, and you know he had to miss a little bit of time there in the beginning. That that never never helps. Uh, I I, just, I think you're going to see a better team out of Seattle. Which like you just kind of look across the board and go, okay, everybody's getting a little bit better. Uh, maybe not San Jose. They might be the one outlier. Where you're like, <laughs> mm. I think they probably still have another year of losing and maybe trying to acquire some some high-end talent in the draft. Anaheim won't necessarily be world beaters, but they're going to probably be more interesting to watch, especially with Mason McTavish coming up and he's going to make the team. Uh, well, yeah, they should be better with Kleenberg, who's fighting for a new yeah. contract, and yeah. they signed Brian Strom, so they, they now have a nice little one-two punch. And I mean, they got a good group of centers between Zegris, you know, uh, McTavish, and, and Strom now. So um, I'm kind of with you. I think, obviously... You know, San Jose's the outlier here, but I think the rest of the teams in this division have gotten, you know, better. And I think, uh, you know, again, we talk about how tight the top five in the central is between, you know, Colorado, Minnesota, St. Louis, Dallas, and Nashville. Uh, you know, how good that group is and, uh, you know, how close all those teams were outside of maybe Colorado kind of running away with it a little bit. But, you know, I, I think these teams, one through six in this Pacific division, one through seven maybe, um, 
you know, could be all within 10, 15 points of each other come the year end. Yeah, it could be tight. It could be real tight. And uh, I mean, the Oilers, they're, they're only, the Oilers are going to be better than they were last year. That's, that's the other, I mean, you've got Jack Campbell, assuming he can stay healthy. I think that Jack Campbell in general is better than Mike Smith. Uh, I, I mean, you, you consider they've got Evander Kane all year long now and that, that in, in by itself is going to improve the, the team, uh, with just those two moves. You're also talking about a, another step potentially for Evan Bouchard, you know, these, there's that Kyler Yamamoto and, and Jesse Poyarvi. We're trying to see if they can uh, break through and really become a regular in that top six. Um, that, that'll that be an interesting story to watch. But like in general, I think that Edmonton's probably going to be more consistent than they were last year. Like Remember, they were almost missed the playoffs for right. a minute there. And now like, I, I still think you come into this next year and you're more clear on like, Regardless of the order, you're probably still thinking Calgary, Edmonton, Vegas as your top three in this division. But there's a lot more like, well, you know, L.A. still likely is probably going to make the playoffs. Like, what if Vegas falters again here? Like that. There's there's a lot of question marks. So, I mean, this is the time for the Calgary Flames. Uh, I mean, we might see another Calgary, Edmonton semifinal because these two teams are uh, seem like they're set up to uh, to take that step. So we'll yeah, see. you hope so. I mean, you hope that Calgary isn't you know last year wasn't a fluke, and they're the Calgary they were you know from two years ago. You hope that you know the Battle of Alberta is back, right, and for real now. Um, because let's face it, I mean those kind of interdivision rivalries that are are so I don't want to say toxic, but you know there's there's some snarl there, and I hope that they. They continue to only get better as these two teams continue to get better. And hopefully Calgary keeps up. And, yeah, I'm with you. I think Calgary and Edmonton got to be there in that top three. And, I mean, hey, there's there's a lot of scenarios, I think, for, you know, the rest of this division, these teams to, to get better or potentially even get worse, right? Vegas could go out and acquire, uh, you know, a better goaltender, right, to come in. So maybe that puts them over the top. Or maybe a guy like, uh, you know, Drew Doughty comes back and he's not as good as he was or maybe quick and, Peterson can't find their way and you know maybe they get worse who knows right or maybe Vancouver goes out and trades JT Miller because they just can't figure out to get him to a contract extension and so maybe they falter a little bit there's all these scenarios where teams could separate themselves from the rest but you know again I still think you know like you talk about Calgary and Edmonton are towards that top of the division and hopefully you know we get to see some uh, some good some good battles here absolutely um well, let's let's just kind of turn over to the Eastern Conference where uh, two players looks like they're going to be out for the season. You've got Ryan Ellis, who's going to miss, uh, oh, sorry, the start of the season for the Flyers. Uh, he missed, well, he played like four games last year. Uh, so <laughs> basically missed the entire year. And then Kent Hughes, GM of Montreal, and maybe so, a lot of the reason why they were willing to take on Sean Monahan that Carey Price is unlikely to play this season. So that's uh, disappointing news. I mean, we did talk about it, I think, last show, and I said I didn't think there was any way that he was going to come back and play. My guess is this means he's done, uh, period. Like, this is this is the slow burn to saying, yeah, he actually is going to retire. If you're not going to play all year, you're, you're telling me you're going to come back next in another year at like what thirty seven? 
<laughs> and you're going to come back and and you're going to play at a high caliber. I I just don't know if I I see that occurring. So or I guess not 37. He'd be uh no, yep, yep, 37 next year. So uh, what what do you think about these two players? Well, Ellis missing and and Price being out for the entire season. Yeah, I think first to touch on uh, Ryan Ellis, I think it's it's a little easier to just come out and say, hey, you know what? We're just going to let him get back to 100%. We're not going to rush him. There's no need, right? Philly went out and acquired Tony D'Angelo, so they got an offensive guy here who can move the puck uh, like Ryan Ellis can, and uh, you know help generate some offense from that back end and. You know, they still got some some good talent back there. I mean, Ivan Provorov, you hope that maybe he can regain form. And, uh, again, I'm not I'm not going any which way on Rasmus Ristolainen because he's just such an enigma. But, you know, with a guy like Ryan Ellis out, too, I think there's some positives you can look at and say a guy like Cam York is going to get a little bit more playing time to start the season so you can look at him and see what you really got out of this 21-year-old. Um, but, again, you, you don't have to rush him back. Um, you know, maybe Philadelphia is still delusional and think they're going to be a playoff team. And uh, I mean, whatever that's, that's on them. And I, you know, I, I guess you can't really fault them for, for wanting to say you're a playoff team. And, you know, I, I would hate to have a GM or coach that said we're not, but um, you know, reality is I don't see them making the playoffs. So, you know, realistically, I think it's a good thing that they're not rushing him back because you hope maybe long-term you still have him signed for, you know, another four seasons after this, you want him healthy and you want him, you know, coming back when you do finally get back to playoff contention here, maybe in a couple of years that, um, you know, you get 100% Ryan Ellis and he's, he's good to go. So don't rush him. And then as far as Carey Price is concerned, I mean, look, I, 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 I get it. You know, in today's age, being a goaltender is a lot harder on the hips and, you know, the knees. And so I get it where the injuries pile up, especially for a guy like that who, you know, really in today's NHL, we don't see a lot of guys that play 60, 70 games anymore. And he was pretty much it for Montreal for – so many years and yep. you know the physicality plays a toll on your body and so uh, you know long story short you just hate to see a guy have to end his career on injuries if that's the case right now again i've i've listened to some reports on you know sirius xm from some guys on the inside um you know that say hey you know what he could potentially go through the surgery recover get back on track and you know maybe come back next year um i honestly you know i who knows, right? I mean, that's just the, the bottom line. You, you never know with goaltenders. Uh, and it's even harder to to guess when you're that age and going through major surgeries like like he has to try to see if your body can recover uh, after all those years of, of punishment and torture. So, you know what? Hey, he, he's been a great goaltender. Uh, there's a reason he has a heart trophy and, you know, Vesna. So, you know, again, he's he's one of those guys that you hate to see end his career on an injury because you'd like to see a guy like that go out on his own terms and have an opportunity to play, you know, at his best at the end there. So, um, you know, me personally, I'd like to see him come back and, you know, even if it's in just a limited capacity where you see him play 20 or 30 games, but, uh, I'm sure Montreal's hoping he just stays on the shelf so they can save that 10 million bucks. But right. Right. Do you think that Carey price is a hall of famer? Oh, that, that's a very good question. Um, boy. Cause I, I don't, I don't think that he is. I mean, he was the the best player in the world for like a full calendar year, right? Like he won the Vesna, the Pearson, the Jennings, the Hart. He was on the, the all-star team. He was, he also won a gold medal for Canada. And I mean, he, he was fourth in Vesna trophy, trophy voting the year before, uh, following year he had injuries, so he 
he didn't make his way into uh, any awards. But then the following year after that, he was third in Vezina Trophy. Like he had a really nice run. I just I don't know that I see it. Like he he was certainly probably the most talented goaltender uh, in his prime, right? Like in that what what like maybe 2010 through 2017, 18, 19, somewhere in there. Probably the most talented goaltender, and uh, he just wasn't on the best team. But injuries and a, a bevy of other reasons that he just never really got there in my mind it's it's one thing to for a lot of people to say yeah this guy was freaking good uh but it's another thing to actually go out and be good (laughs) and and do the things that are necessary to uh to win i mean he had some years where his save percentage was otherworldly i mean 933 934 923 uh fantastic years it just i don't know i don't know that he uh that he gets there because of the team that he was on like sadly because the team that he was on didn't make didn't make many long runs i mean obviously they recently made a stanley cup run uh he did make the playoffs 10 years out of his possible 15 uh but really he went on what like three times he made it out of the first round uh four yeah sorry four times he made it out of the first round oh not necessarily his fault. It's not as if he was, uh, he, he, you know, he had a couple playoffs where he wasn't the best, but those were years where like Montreal got swept or something like, so you're playing much better teams. There were some years where they were like an eight seed kind of vibe. Um, but yeah, is he a hall of fame goalie? That's, that's going to be a tough question. I mean, obviously it's not going to get a lot of answers until he really retires. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, personally, I, I would say no. Um, I mean, look, you look at the year he won the Hart Trophy, right? The best player in the world, um, according, you know, to, to the NHL there. Um, Devin Dubnik finished fourth in Hart Trophy voting with, you know, a, four points of a save percentage less and, you know, point zero one goals or, you know, point one goals against average, you know, more than, uh, you know, Carey Price and a few less wins. But, um Really, the, I mean, that was the year Jamie Ben took the you know the Art Ross with 87 points oh, that yeah. last game of the season there. So scoring was just down in general in the league, and so it's just it's a lot to me. It's a lot easier to look at a goaltender who's having a phenomenal year. And and, and again, no discredit to Carey Price and what he did that year because it was a phenomenal year for him. But you know, was he the best player in the world at that time? To me, no. I, I think it just was the fact that scoring was down across the league, and it was easier to look at a guy who's having a phenomenal year. Now, any other year in, in the NHL, he might not have won the, the Hart Trophy with those kind of numbers. He would have been up there maybe top three or four in you know, voting, but ultimately probably, you know, like for instance, last year, there's no way he would have you know won out or beat out Austin Matthews, I think, last year with the way scoring was if he had those numbers. So sure. Okay. Yep. That's, um, but I, I do th- – I mean, if he had – I mean, 44 wins, 16 losses, and under a two goals against, nine three three save percent. I mean, he had a 16.2 point share that year. That's, that's oh, no, unbelievable. I, no, I get it. And <laughs> he again, would definitely not, be in the top three. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. And there's, again, no discrediting what he did that year. That was a phenomenal year. And um, But it's know, but a I, year. It, it's a year. Like, it's right. a, a short time period. Uh, I, he was very good. I just don't think that 
being very good or even being one of the best for a while. Like he just doesn't necessarily have the accolades to, to justify it. And I mean, he's been always been very well liked. Um, but I feel like, like goalies from his era. I mean, who Mark Andre Fleury's going, he's a, he's a Mark Andre Fleury's a hall of fame goalie. No doubt about it. He's going to be yeah, in the absolutely. hall of fame. Well, he's got the Vesna. He's got the Stanley Cups, right? He's got right. everything that you need. And you're definitely like I know that it's it's not necessarily fair to to drop these guys against each other. Although they did play each other in the Stanley Cup Finals, uh, but Vasilevsky, in my mind, is likely to be a Hall of Famer, assuming his career continues down a similar trajectory that it is right now. Uh, so, I mean, you're only going to have so many only so many goalies get in, right? Like you're right. you're not going to have. 15, so the one big 10, guy, 15 goalies get it. Yeah, so not to I, – I don't mean to interrupt, but the, like the one big guy in, in his era when, when Carey Price was in his prime that I like to compare him to when you, when you talk about the heart or the, you know, the, the, the Hall of Fame is, is Henry Lundqvist, right? You look at him. Henry Lundqvist for 10 years in a row finished in the top six of Vesna voting, right? So clearly one of the best goalies in that generation, right? And that's, that's the argument, right, was Carey Price, the, the goaltender of his generation. That was the big thing I kept hearing on Twitter all this past week. I mean, in 11-12, Carey Price or, um, you know, Lundquist had a 9.30 save percentage, a 1.97 goals against, and 40 wins or 39 wins to 18 losses, right? So pretty comparable stats, finished third in Hart Trophy voting, right? Um, had he won the Hart, yeah, then, you know, maybe you, you look at, you know, Carey Price's, you know, season, and you say, oh, that's just, it wasn't as good or, you know, wasn't as great, and you start comparing. But, um, you know, when you look at a guy like, like Lundquist, who literally has almost a hundred more wins. And I watched, you know, again, similar to price, you know, one season, but it seemed like almost year in and year out, Henry Lundquist was carrying his team on his shoulders in the playoffs and dragging them through the next round. Um, so when I look at a guy like that, I look at, for example, a guy I grew up watching all the time, Chris Osgood, who has 401 wins. Um, I mean, literally is like the only guy with 400 plus wins to not get in the hall of fame yet. Lundquist might, you know, might change that or might be the, the next guy. But, um, you know, still, Carey Price is sitting only 21st all-time in wins, which is really nice. But Jonathan Quick is right behind him and going to surpass him is Jonathan Quick. Uh, you know, a Hall of Fame goaltender, he has the Stanley Cups. He's got a Vesna. Yep. So that's going to be a real hard argument for people to make when you look at Carey Price. Because I know a lot of people, especially in recent years, have just said, oh, Jonathan Quick was a fluke or, a, you know, he was – uh, you know, a product of, you know, that, that suitor coaching system. But I mean, he's got the hardware to back it up where Carey Price doesn't have as much. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, and you, you've, I mean, you've got, you've got other players who were also very good. I mean, the heart trophy is a hard one to argue with, uh, Sure, but yeah, it's, I, you, you also got to think like there's Roberto Luongo. Um, did, did he get in this last one? Why did I feel like? Yes, no. he did. Yeah, yeah he did. he's a okay. Hall of Famer. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, but I he's fourth all time in wins. That's I mean, he again, is fourth all time. Yes, but I mean, it's not as if he he never even won a Vesna. Nope. So in by that comparison, in some respects, you go well. Prices is Vesna and a heart, and like was up for the Vesna quite a few times, um, and and not that not that Luongo wasn't, but. Uh, Perhaps you look at Luongo and say, how do you let Luongo in and not heavily consider Carey Price? Right? Like, sure. But 
Um, well, okay. Well, I think we've beaten the, the Carey Price drum <laughs> enough here for a guy who's not even going to see the ice this year. Um, is there any any other uh, thing you want to talk about here before we uh, before we sign off? Boy, um, I mean, really quick, if you want to run through it and just kind of rapid fire, maybe a couple of the, the key free agents left and maybe where you think they might end up. Uh, yeah, okay, let's do that. And uh, before we do, uh, I, I forgot to mention that I know I mentioned Mason Mason McTavish. Uh, he, what, he won the uh, tournament's most valuable player for World Juniors. Eight goals, 17 points in just seven games. Uh, that is the third Ducks prospect in history to win the MVP of the tournament. Trevor Zegers also won it for the U.S. and John Gibson in 2013 won it for the U.S. So they've got two, the two back-to-back MVPs of the World Junior Tournament uh, headed into this next year. So obviously yeah, first exciting. time ever a team's had a back-to-back winner of that award mm. and had the save of the tournament too. Let's just not forget about yeah. that. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, uh, big things coming for some some younger guys. I mean, obviously, uh, Bedard looked fantastic too you know as a 17 year old uh put up eight points there and so uh, it's it's going to be fun fun to watch him all year and uh and you know he'll as he likely goes and is the first overall pick we'll watch lots of teams try to lose for for that but i just thought i'd mention mason mctavish uh for that that trophy and you know we'll see another world junior tournament in like four months so that'll be fun uh, Love it. Okay, so we're talking uh, a few players left over. Yeah, let's talk Phil Kessel. Uh, I have seen some some thoughts about him ending up somehow in Edmonton. <laughs> <laughs> Any chance you think that happened? Like, do we see Phil Kessel going to Edmonton? Boy, that's going to take some uh, cat maneuvering. But, I mean, honestly, I think that there's a chance he could go to one of those uh, cap-strap teams on like a one-year, one million with a lot of performance bonus stuff that they can roll into next, next year. year. Yeah, uh, that is possible. I mean, I, I think really right now his focus is going to be on playing in a winner or with a winner. So, um, in my opinion, though, I, I mean, I think I would like to see Phil Kessel end up with the Carolina Hurricanes um, with Pacioretty going to be out for some time. I think that's going to help clear enough cap space. Uh, for them to bring mm. him in and, and give you a, another top six option there that they can, you know, again, if, you know, Coquette Niemi is not really producing where they, they think he should and, you know, maybe give you an option if, you know, who knows if Seth Jarvis just was a fluke last year, you know, again, you have options. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, wherever he goes, he's going to be a, a welcome addition. It is funny, though, that he's gone from this guy who can score 40 goals uh, year in and year out to now he's the uh, he's more the the playmaker right and he always was a really good playmaker uh, he just maybe you know the guys well, around had, him were feeding him the puck yeah well I mean he had Malkin passing him the puck so who's the better playmaker true I mean, of course yeah true. <laughs> um, you know I I know this is that's more of a UFA conversation there uh, I I'm surprised that Jason Robertson is still out there unsigned by the Dallas Stars that's uh that's going to be a tricky one for the stars to uh to get under there and, and i mean it's he's quite possibly their most important player right now and uh they they do have 16 million in caps uh no how much 10 million in cap space right now so it's not as if this should be too difficult to make happen 
Uh, I'm wondering what's going on there. What? Why is well, he not signed? Along with Jake Ottinger. That's that's where I think the hiccup is, right? Is because you have to get these two guys under 10 million bucks, and yeah, there might be you know a little bit of wiggle room if you're sending a guy down or two, right? Like, um, you know, you could wave a guy like Tannen Kiro or Frederick Olofsson. Um, but again, you've got you know a couple guys that you you got to get signed that are so important to this team, right? I think if there's any two guys that are more important to a team, this this defines it, right? Jay Gottinger could be a guy we look at because we, we don't see very many 60, 70 gameplay goaltenders anymore. And I think Ottinger's got a real argument and a lot of leverage to say, hey, I'm your only option here. Um, are you going to count on Scott Wedgwood for the rest of the year? No. Right, right. Um, I mean, if personally, if it was me, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, maybe a team – I mean, I'm surprised <laughs> Vegas hasn't tried to make an offer sheet to – Ottinger yet because they always go after the shiny toy but um yeah, well, yeah these two guys obviously i think dallas is trying to to bring them in at the right price to get them both under that 10 mil and it's just not really happening so um it's it's yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure I, I don't know how dallas really gets it done in my opinion i think it's going to be very very tight they're going to have to maneuver and who knows maybe you, you end up losing a guy like joe pavelski and have to trade him no, uh, there's no even way though he's got an a move clause there's but no way they're trading him no way. Oh, I agree, but no I mean, way. You, <laughs> I, I, I think I think your most likely is, you know, can you can you figure out a way to get Jason Robertson to, to take a bridge deal here? That's maybe probably, you get him on a one year contract, right? And you hope that next year when Rube hints, uh, you know, his deal needs a new. I mean, he's going to need a new deal next year. But you know, gosh, I don't, I don't. Really I mean, know. the is, the the Ben and uh, particularly the Ben contract, but also Sagan. That's certainly. Uh, causing a giant a giant issue i mean sagan's still productive i think there's still a world where he's he's a 60 point player if he's fully healthy i mean last year he had 49 points uh but and jason jamie ben is just he's just not there i mean he's just not producing and he hasn't been producing and those two contracts are really weighing down what they can do with the rest of this team a nice move to bring in and mason marchment uh, in the off season, but now suddenly you're looking at that and going, "Oh, did you bring in Mason Marchment at the expense of Jason Robertson <laughs> or Jake Ottinger?" I, I think it's more, maybe it's most likely that you're able to say to Jake Ottinger, "Look, like sign the two year bridge deal. We'll give you three million, like two times three or something like that." Maybe they're, they're he's 23 years old. I don't know that they're trying to go five times five for him yet after he has one year of pretty good production. I think you maybe want to see if he can, uh, if he can do it over the long haul again, although he's no, I agree. So that, that maybe is their only leverage with him. And I don't think anyone's going to offer sheet a goalie. Uh, so I, I think that he probably has less leverage than say a Jason Robertson, who I, I don't know that there's a team out there that, that could drop an offer sheet on him for big enough where Dallas wouldn't accept. Like, I think if somebody came out and said, yeah, we'll give you uh, seven times eight, I think Dallas would, would match. Oh, absolutely. No, I agree. I don't think any team's going to be, I would try that. Right. Because you, again, Dallas would match anything. Now, Ottinger, um, you know, again, I, I think teams, you know, why we haven't seen an offer sheet for a guy like that is because teams are going to be cautious, right? They're going to, if they're going to sign him at a dollar amount that Dallas would match, it would have to be, very, very high and would cost them multiple picks. And for a guy who's only had one really full season in the NHL, right, you don't take that kind of risk for those amount of picks, really. Yeah, no. uh, 
So, yeah, of course, that's why we're not seeing that. But, um, yeah, I, I still think both these guys have a lot of leverage, and I just I think it's probably ultimately if you want to get both of them done, you you got to sign them to one- or two-year deals and, uh, you know, wait till the cap shoots up in a couple of years. All right, I'm going to give you some names. Rapid fire. Tell me what team they end up on. Paul Stastny. Oh, he's going back to Colorado. They need a second-line center. Ah, I like it. Okay. Uh, I was thinking the other the other option for Paul Stastny to me would be Toronto. Oh, I like that too, though. That's uh, nice. But, like, you're thinking probably Stastny signing some kind of one-year, one-mil, one, you know, 1.5. That likely is probably what he's he's going to get at this point. So if he wants to go to a winner, uh, he could certainly get more if he goes somewhere else. But, yeah, I like I like the Colorado thought too. That that would be interesting. I know that they liked him when he, when he left before. Um, Evan Rodriguez. Ooh, I could see him going to the New York Islanders. They, uh, they need something for this fan base and, uh, you know, he would be a pretty good middle six guy for them for, you know, again, I'm not really sure what their, their plans are. No one ever does, but that could, that could be a decent fit. Yeah. Especially after losing out on Nazem Kadri, uh, you know, Rodriguez can slot in at center position if, if needed. Um, I, I, I think there was certainly an offer on the table for Kadri. So, uh, yeah, Rodriguez would be a, I won't say he's much of a consolation prize, but he's not a bad player to come in and play in your top nine somewhere. Uh, and he's right. proven that he can play up and down the lineup. Uh, last one, PK Subban. Ooh, PK. Boy, that that's a tough one. I think a team like the New York Rangers would probably be best for him. Uh, if you look at their bottom pairing right now, I think they've got uh, Brandon Schneider and uh, man, maybe Zachary Jones, maybe. Um, I mean, really, their top four between Fox, Truba, Lindgren, and Keandre Miller is rounded out, but their bottom pairing is, you know, guys who don't have a lot of playing time, you know, um, guys that don't have a lot of production. So P.K. Subban could come in, be a nice, steady veteran presence to a very young blue line. I mean, Truba's their oldest player at 28 years old. Everybody else is 24 or younger, so... Uh, to get a guy in there, a veteran presence who could be a steady rock back there, and then also slot in potentially on your number two power play unit if you want, chip in a little bit on offense, that'd be great. Okay. Uh, oh, you know what? One more. Let's do Sonny, Sonny Milano. Okay. Yeah. yeah I mean, one, I was surprised uh, that Anaheim didn't ma- didn't you know try to just you know, just match his salary. I mean, he was an RFA; they could have matched, and uh, they chose not to. Yeah. Um, boy, he could really. I mean, he could really go anywhere. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised and it could be just a simple issue of just, you know, really just dollar amounts, right? He just hasn't been able to find a contract he likes and maybe he's just going to wait it out till teams get someone injured, but uh, he could potentially slot in with a team like, you know, the national predators who could use a little bit more scoring in their bottom six and maybe be a good third line option for them. Yeah. I was thinking the like the New Jersey devils would be a good spot for Sonny Milano. It kind of offers a little bit of that sandpaper, and uh, yeah, he he would fit well there too. I, I know they don't have a ton of cap space right now, but that, that's Sonny Milano's not signing probably more than a million and a half, maybe a million with some some potential uh, bonuses. So sure, I, I think at this point most most teams could fit him in uh, wherever need be. So and uh, you think that the Leafs are going to end up trading Rasmus Sandin? Do they sign him or does he sit? Oh. That's a really good one because he's one of those guys, right? I mean, a year or two ago, we we're talking about this guy potentially being like 
a 10, 15 year guy for the Leafs on the back end, right? But their left end is so clogged up right now between, you know, Riley Muzzin and uh, potentially TJ Brody. Yeah, Giordano. Brody. I mean, you've got a lot of guys on the left side. So, um, you know, really it's going to be, you know, two or three years before he gets some quality playing time. So for me, I think if you're Toronto, really, um, you're just going to kind of sit on it for a while. And then I think what will end up happening is either he's going to sign just a small one-year deal, uh, you know, come November or whatever. Do this all over again. (laughs) Yeah, and do it all over again next year and next summer. Or they're going to end up trading him to add a piece. Maybe if they, you know, they they come to find out that maybe their third line could use a little bit more something-something and they try to make a play for, you know, somebody else by dangling him out as a trade chip. Yeah, and I mean – I think after what happened with Nylander and uh, probably giving too much money quickly to Marner uh, and and to Matthews to a certain extent, like just doing those deals like, oh, we're not even going to think about it. We're just going to sign them to a bunch. Uh, I think that that maybe uh, has set up Kyle Dubas for failure in the future. Like, and I think this one, he's just going to have to go balls in like, Nope, I'm not going to, I'm not messing around this time. I'm not going to give in. Uh, well, do, sure. And do what those guys do. had the production to, yes, to back yes. up, right. And to have some leverage where he doesn't really have that, right. He doesn't have the games played or anything like that, where he can really leverage a bigger contract. So I think really it's a situation where he's just asking for more money than what he's really worth. And, you know, unfortunately he doesn't have any arbitration rights or anything like that. So, Yep, he's going to have to just take what he's given, essentially, which, which I mean, it's not as if they offered him nothing. I mean, 1.4 for two years, I think, was the offer on the table. but uh, and, and whatever, he wants a little bit more, but you're not getting $3 million or anything like that at this point, um, at least not from the Leafs. <laughs> they can't right. afford to do it. Um, so, all right, well, I think that's our, that's our show. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at OT Hockey Talk. We'll be back uh, with a, another top 10 list, and we're going to start jumping into uh, some deep dives into some teams, and uh, we're, we're rapidly approaching training camp. We've got less than a month to training camp, so uh, it's, it's basically here. <laughs> we're going to start having some preseason games, and uh, I don't know that I'm ready for it yet. Are you ready for it? I've been ready for it since, I mean – since Colorado skated around that rink with the Stanley yeah. Cup, I'm, well, I'm, I want to get going. Yeah, I'm I'm ready to watch the my team like or in the teams I I care about, and you know I want to see what the Red Wings have to do here, and uh, we'll uh, we'll have to do some we'll have to go to a Red Wings game this year. Maybe we can we can sneak a Leafs Wings game in, or I don't really care a, a Wings anybody game because when you try to go to a wings Leafs game, you pay five times more for the ticket than you do for any other game. (laughs) Well, I will tell you, so two things, right? The red wings are playing the Leafs in preseason. So we could potentially go to that on the team. There we go. Um, but I've also got tickets to the red wings home opener against the Canadians. Oh, look at you. Um, yeah, my, my nephew, he's five, five and a half years old. His peewee team is midgets or whatever it is. Uh, they're playing at the intermission between the game. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, so if you know, of course, like the team, you know, had a, a fundraiser or whatever, and yeah. so we had to buy a couple tickets, and nice. uh, so we all have, uh, you know, me and the wife are gonna go with the, you know, my sister and her her fam, and uh, what's really cool though is the uh, my my brother in law. I'm trying to convince him to let me do it with with my nephew instead, but they get to go to the Red Wings practice rink and see the locker room. So oh, there you go. That's pretty, that's pretty fun. I no, I I've never well other than like the tour thing. I I I haven't been to the. Uh, the Red Wings locker room at 
Little Caesars. I've been to the one at the Joe quite a few yep, times. Same. Uh, so that'll be fun. Well, uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk more about that as it as it comes up. But um, yeah, find us on Twitter at OT Hockey Talk. Justin, have a great rest of your night. And uh, to our listeners, thanks for listening to us for five years. Uh, here's to another five. <laughs> we'll talk to you guys soon. <laughs>